Welcome to our uh, online service again, and uh, make sure you got that coffee and got the uh, outline perhaps, but most importantly, the scriptures in front of you if possible, and we want to take a look today at Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, doing an overview really of all 32 verses and uh, describing the incredible unity that God designed for the church his family, the body of Christ. As a um, wedding shower gift 40-some years ago, uh, Priscilla received from a friend a set of salt and pepper shakers. They looked kind of like this. Uh, They were actually a a clear plastic. And uh, so when you filled it with salt and filled it with pepper, it would come out, as you see, uh, black and white. Priscilla's friend had no idea how prophetic this little gift was. Uh, We have become the uh, poster child or poster children for uh, opposites attract. It's not just that I'm male and uh, tall and blonde, but uh, it's because we are so different in every way. So this, this friend put on these labels and we had not realized till then, as, uh, as uh, this friend ingeniously did, that those two letters really are Sid and Priscilla. So it's not just that, that we look different and that, that Priscilla happens to be um, female, short, and dark-haired, uh, as far as you know. It's, uh, it's so many other things. Um, I'm more spontaneous. She likes to be more planned. I like to... Uh, travel more. She likes being at home, a homebody. Uh, I'm more outgoing, and um, if I'm out in a, with people I don't know, I tend to strike up conversations wherever we are, and Priscilla just kind of waits around and uh, rolls her eyes a little bit while I have my conversations with strangers. When there's free time, I like to spend it more uh, doing, uh, you know, relaxing and and just find something fun, and and she likes to accomplish more. When we have uh, some extra money, she'd like to spend it on the house and and yard. I'm more likely to to spend it on uh, doing something, an experience, fuel, entertainment, eating out. My hobby is motorcycling. Hers is knitting, and we have yet to find a way those really fit together. I love Jesus Christ. She loves Jesus Christ. And that is why we are unified. Except for our sinfulness, we have a great marriage because we both love Jesus Christ. And and so as we come to Ephesians 4 today, the real issue is what unites the body of Christ, the church? As Nate read for us, I'll pick it up. And uh, read again, verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, so Paul is writing from prison just as he is when he wrote Colossians, the other, uh, the other uh, study we're in regularly, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is just one body and one Spirit, 
Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's a call to unity of very different people. You see, in the first century, every church had a distinct contrast racially because there were Jews and the non-Jews, Gentiles. For almost 2,000 years, the people of God were mostly, almost exclusively Jewish. And anyone coming to the true God would have to come to the Jewish temple, Jewish sacrifices, Jewish practices. But now, after Christ, temple sacrifices and all those rituals and rules of the Old Testament had expired with Christ, and in fact, they were even distractions from the gospel. Read the book of Hebrews, and you realize the Jews had to lay those expectations aside, and now many Gentiles were saved. Ephesians chapter 2 uh, stresses how, uh, Paul says, how, how Christ broke down the dividing wall between these very different backgrounds, the Jew and the Gentile. And he said, I'm going to form one new body, united and equal. And yet every Sunday as they gathered, everybody knew who was who. The difference racially was not so much in appearance or skin color, like we might think of, but the difference was the way they viewed the world. What was important? What priorities they had? And, and, and so uh, the Jews had, had these couple of thousands of years of traditions where all these things were part of their spiritual heritage. And, and frankly, to the Gentiles, these are kind of meaningless. Like, you did what? Oh, okay. So everything was different between them. They saw, they saw and processed life differently. So what would unify these very different groups? It's what we read in verses 1 through 6. Their faith in Christ, the indwelling spirit, their, their submission to the God and Father of all. These are the things that mattered. The COVID virus has brought to the surface a myriad of differences and many times conflict. Obviously to society, you don't have to wonder about that, but also among believers and in the church and in marriages. So this week, as we, as we uh, prepare to start public services next week, I think it's good for us to focus on that which unifies us. You know, as we reopen, there will be those who wonder, why did it take so long? You could have done it two weeks ago. Others will feel that it's reckless to do it now. Some of you will uh, be eager to come through those doors and... Uh, Others of you will continue to watch the online services, which will, will continue next week. Uh, you may be watching them next month, maybe all summer, because maybe because the nursery or child care isn't available, or age or health, or uh, just because you don't feel comfortable. Uh, some of you uh, will find some of the safeguards that we put in place to be kind of silly based on your view of the public safety risk. Others of you will think that we're not doing nearly enough. Some will wear a face mask and uh, sigh at those who don't, and some who, who, who uh, will not wear them will sigh at those who do. 
Do you see how different we are? This issue just made that obvious. So how do we overcome our, our, our biases, our ideologies, our differences of opinions so that they don't divide us and they don't anger us at each other? As we read in verses 1 through 6, we must focus on who we are in Christ. Or as we were studying in Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, uh, 3, you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We, we talked about how we have a whole new identity that supersedes everything else. Our identity is who we are in Christ. We are part of the family of God by faith in Christ. We're a believer in Jesus Christ. And that is far more important than anything else. So what we're talking about today is not so much a rebuke, unless the Holy Spirit uh, rebukes you through the Scriptures in some way, but because in some ways, I think Na Open Door has uh, navigated disagreements about this, maybe better than, than many. Maybe the, the place where it's going to be most obvious is in some of our homes. Because um, I, I'm just, I, I know there's a high likelihood that you and your spouse have had somewhat different views on, on uh, exactly you know, how to protect ourselves or to what degree is this overblown. If you found yourself intense or angry, please realize that, that COVID didn't create the disunity. It has, it has simply exposed underlying issues where we have uh, anxieties, where we have uh, pride, where we have our rights, uh, where we have control of our environments. And so it just takes this stress to arouse some things that maybe would be really good for us to recognize. What's the first thing that is prescribed in this passage to address disunity? Verse 2, be completely humble. Be completely humble. It, it governs all, over, all others. The first, the first sin of Satan was pride. I will be like the Most High God, Isaiah 14. The first sin of Adam and Eve was Satan tempting them, saying, if you eat this, you will be like God and know good and evil. Didn't work out too well. It's our core sin. We want to, to control our environment. We want our opinion to be seen as best and right. And, and when it isn't, we get angry and, and we lose peace internally. We uh, lose patience externally with others. Because of pride. So, um, what's the solution to pride? Be completely humble. Who can produce that? That's a fruit of the Spirit. That, that is, the, the, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That is a spiritual quality. Why did God throw together Jews and Gentiles in the early church? Um, I think it's largely so that both of them would realize that their views of what's most important may not be right. Because the Jews and Gentiles couldn't both be right. And so they had to change what would be their priority, which would be their spiritual unity. And so I, I, just, I just really think that we have to adopt a, a flavor about everything. And this is just a, this is a good way to learn this. And that is that in the body of Christ, we, we have this idea. I am not superior to those with whom I disagree. I'm not superior to those with whom I disagree. Uh, say that about 10 times anytime you're, you're going to engage, you know, somebody, you know, I'm not superior 
The next several terms describes what will come out of our mouth uh, when we have complete humility. It'll be gentleness, it'll be patience, and it'll be bearing with one another in love. Wow, humility just transforms the way we do relationships completely. Paul tells us it won't be easy because he says, make every effort to keep or preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. <laughs> if, if your goal is to score points, all bets are off, nothing's promised, but if your goal is to preserve the unity in the bond of peace, then that's what you'll get. I was, I've been reading in uh, James recently, and I just came across it this, this week, about peacemakers, the wisdom that comes from heaven. So if you want to know where, if, where it comes from, It'll look like this. It's first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. It's transforming. Humility transforms you. So do you value unity over victory? Does that mean that uh, Christians can never disagree and discuss it? Not at all. It's just that humble people disagree with one another way different than pride, proud people. There's an incredibly different tone. So make every effort to keep. That's an important word, though. You may have the word preserve. To preserve the unity of the Spirit. Because you have unity, it's saying. You have the Spirit. So when you argue with another Christian, be it your spouse or somebody else, and whether it's about this issue or about the millions of things we've argued about over the last decades, you are arguing with another version of yourself. And so the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, and the Holy Spirit's indwelling me. And so there is a tension spiritually in an angry argument because it's like the, I kind of picture the Holy Spirit like being bounced back and forth between these dueling believers. And if you think that's a far-fetched illustration, we only have to go ahead in chapter, this chapter to verse 30 says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit has this, God has this, this emotional tension that we are creating, if you will. So Paul makes a case to preserve peace because we actually have unity. Here's what unifies us. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and this one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The body refers to the church. There aren't factions and segments. One Holy Spirit. This is, there's a triuneness to the unity. One Holy Spirit. And then the reference to one hope and faith in the Lord. That's Christ. That, that's focused on the cross. We have one Savior. And so then there's one baptism, which is, it, it, it's official. It's like marriage. It's official. You are, you are one. And then the one God and Father. I mean, we are, right now, we are united under the authority of the Word of God. And saying, God, if you're speaking to me, then, then now I've got my priorities straight because I'm listening to you. Knowing Christ uniquely qualifies us for unity. We often uh, talk here about 
at Open Door about different kinds of differences. You may recognize these terms. Kind of, kind of a tiered level. Absolutes, convictions, and preferences. Absolutes being the most important. Verses 1 through 6 are about our absolute, absolutes about which we, we have agreement as believers in Christ. Convictions are those things that we are biblically convinced are true that we need to apply in some way. Now, that's where this is uh, it's interesting because many things that people have disagreed about recently are political and public policy convictions, but they really boil down to what we think to be true. And it's a little harder to put verses by them. I don't see a lot of people putting verses by them. So where does that leave this? So is it, is it accidental that Christ formed his body out of people who would have different opinions about lesser things? Or is it important that he did so that he could create a maturity in us that would be eternally important? This next section of chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, uh, deserve a lot of study and discussion. It's about spiritual gifts, and we're only going to refer to it in passing. But you see, Spiritual gifts are different in the body of Christ, and that illustrates how important differentness is to the body. Uh, Spiritual gifts, just by a brief definition, are unique ways in which God has spiritually equipped you differently than somebody else, so that together we can serve him and his purposes and serve uh, one another, spiritual gifts. And so in verse 8, it refers to how he gave gifts, Christ gave gifts to, to, to men, to spiritual gifts. So God gave you a spiritual gift to serve the body of Christ. And in fact, it's interesting, we come to verse 11, he says, not only did he give you a gift, but he gave you to the church as a gift to the church. Verse 11, it is he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Open Door Bible Church is better equipped to become mature because you are a part of it. So if God has led you to this church, it was not so that the church could be a blessing for you, simply, but so that you would be a blessing to the church. And that's, that's transforming in, in the way we think about things. So he gave some, and the list here is only, there's only one of four basic passages that speak about spiritual gifts, so only, it's a partial list. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers happen to be describing the leadership gifts uh, in the body of Christ, who, who are there to equip everyone to serve and to, to be put into place where they will be effective towards what? Creating unity and maturity. As, uh, as we unfold this week some of the, the plan of how we uh, expect to reopen, uh, this, this comes from, a, from our, our church leadership board. And as we met to, to, to work on this, uh, we didn't all start out the same place on various issues. It wasn't that easy, but when we were all discussing it, we unanimously approved 
the plan. And I'm convinced the plan is its best because we started out with different opinions and then sought, what is God directing us to do? You see, it's not accidental that God forms, Christ forms his body out of people with different opinions about lesser things. It's so that we can accomplish the most about the greatest things, about the absolute things. And so we are seeking unity of the faith and becoming mature, and we would be missing that goal to some degree if you don't function. If we sit instead of serve, we don't all accomplish that, so we have to think about how does God have me as part of this church so that I am contributing towards the goal of unity and maturity of one another. What's the difference between an immature versus a mature church? Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. So it's kind of a rebuke to say that uh, as a part of the church, we could be immature and uh, react with tears and fears like babies do and, and fascinated and distracted by you know, this or that, colorful objects, entertained by, by toys and things, boxes that will be thrown in the trash or sent off to resale pretty soon. It, it's just, that's part of babyhood. We get it. Not a lot of discernment about stuff that's really important. And many Christians, we can sometimes be like that, and so we hear some idea, and we latch onto that idea. Often it's a false doctrinal idea. That's the focus here. And so someone uses a Bible verse and, 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 and kind of ignores other important scriptures and, and goes running with it, and uh, it becomes doctrinally dangerous, spiritually dangerous, because it distracted us from what? Reaching the unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and becoming mature. Because that's the real thing. That's, that's the priority. So, if I can make an application... Have you been distracted from the main thing by lesser things in the current global crisis? Have you been been focused on lesser things instead of God and Father who's over all and in control and caring for me, sovereign over all things, and and bringing people to faith in Christ? You know what? I'm convinced that many people are going to come to faith in Christ around the globe because they faced fears or struggles or frustrations. There's going to be spiritual fruit. I'm excited about that. I'm convinced there's going to be a lot of, lot of believers who are in the process of maturing because these stresses, maybe in their, their marriage or in their relationships, are, are exposing like character flaws of immaturity that if everything's going fine, you don't really notice it. But then you do. And so if, if, if you've just even come to the point of noticing some immaturity in your own heart, that's a good start. The rest of the chapter is fascinating in light of the, the, the larger picture of, of unity, which is what, what this portion is about. Because he shifts the focus from the church to suddenly looking at the world. And this is what he says. So I tell you this and insist, and insist on it in the Lord this is verse 17, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Here it's using Gentiles in the sense of non-believers. 
in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And then he goes on to say they give themselves to sensuality and impurity. So why bring that up when the, the focus of these, these, these verses is on the church and growing to... It's because he's describing to us that what distinguishes us as believers from the rest of the world is what follows in the rest of this chapter. Notice, note it describes our transformed character and our ability to get along and treat one another well. That's the focus. He says, you aren't like this. Or as John, Jesus said in John 16, by this, men will know that you are my disciples. You're following me. It'll be by your love. For one another. So there's things in verses 20 through 24 about putting off the old self. That's who we were before we were saved. Putting on the new self. There should be a big change. And look at verse 24. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is, this is an amazing thing that we are to become like God. Not in that we control like God, but rather this in true righteousness and godliness. Well, what do you mean by that, Paul? What, how do you know if someone is godly? Verses 25, 25 to 32 tell us what godliness looks like. And you know what it basically says? Our relationships with each other are the best gauge of our godliness. It's the, out, it's the outward gauge. It starts on the inside. Humility, bearing with one another, gentle, verse 2. But then this is what it looks like on the outside is that we will be treating each other differently. What kind of things, Paul? Well, therefore, verse 25, let each of you put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So don't lie. When, when Christians lie to one another in a marriage or, or, or in, in the body of Christ, we are actually hurting someone with whom we are united. Did you get that? Speak truth because we're all members of one body. So why would you lie to yourself? It's like, you know, use a hammer in the right hand to deliberately hit your thumb on the left hand. No, we, we do that occasionally, accidentally, but you'd never intentionally try to do that. And yet sometimes that's how we, how we are as we discuss things, is we, we slant this and we, we, we hide this and create false impressions, uh, maybe, maybe posting things that we don't know to be true. We, we want them to be, we think they are. Anger. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. So, wow. We're, we're supposed to be evaluating ourselves and our emotions. So, is anger automatically sin? No. It's an emotion. It's, it's a reaction. But anger quickly becomes sin unless we quickly deal with our anger. Because if we don't deal with it quickly, it becomes bitterness towards others. Then it's sin. And it's even worse than that. It says that gives the devil a foothold. You ever talk to somebody in their old age who's angry and bitter? It's really sad because somewhere Satan caught them. And they didn't recognize the, the spiritual impact of their festering anger, negativity towards things and people. Satan uses it. 
So what do you do instead? Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. See, the whole impact of, 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 of the spiritual gifts and the unity is that it's not about me. That is so, that is so contrary to everything in our, in our fleshful, sin, fleshly, sinful nature to live for the benefit of others. But he says, it's going to be seen through the, way you, what you, the words that come out. So this is the grid by which every word must flow if you are spiritually minded. Does this build somebody up? Again, it was in, uh, in uh, James I was reading about the power of words. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise. We're praising God and cursing, putting people down. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. There's a, he says there's a contradiction when we use our words in those two ways. And the verse that follows is connected. And do not, I'm in Ephesians 4 now, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we use words to put down instead of build up. So, a grid, you know, do try this at home. A grid for our words, does it build up or put down, number one. Does it grieve or please the Holy Spirit, number two. This, this, it's a pretty simple grid for, should I say this? Does it build up or put down? Does it grieve or please the Holy Spirit? Now, as we, as we read and hear this, we, we've all failed, right? We get sucked in. We all fail. I'm glad the chapter doesn't end there. Because verses 31 and verse 32 gives us hope. As... as the church is made up of sinners. That's who we are. You, you and your, your spouse might both be believers, but yeah, sin nature. What do we do with that? What do we do when we fail and hurt someone? What do we do when someone else fails and hurts us? Two steps again. Uh, one is to get rid of something, and one is to forgive something. Get rid Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, that's a negative intent, wishing the worst on someone, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So this is how Spirit-filled believers deal with the inevitable relationship, conflict, struggles, and failures. Get rid of what you got to get rid of and then forgive what's been done to you. To get rid of something means I'm going to address this character trait that God's exposing in my life. Uh, apology is, is generally part of that process. And then to forgive, like Christ, if someone's hurt you. Get rid of it. I don't know if you are like, when, when, when this stay-at-home thing started, Priscilla was, she's an accomplisher, right? So, so she's cleaning out closets and uh, basement storage and going through stuff, got too much stuff. And so 
this has to go. You have to get rid of stuff. So this goes to the trash. This goes to resale. But it's, we're getting rid of it. Now, um, the illustration kind of breaks down here because there is no resale shop for bitterness because no one wants your bitterness. But the anger, the resentment has to go. Again, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing that we've had some stress to, to bring some of these things to the surface about ourselves, pull it out of the closet, because until you pull it out of the closet, you don't realize this is not good for me. This has to go. How do you do that? Next chapter talks about chapter 5, verse 1, Ephesians. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. You know, just absorb the grace of God for you and, and then start imitating God. Or chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit. And, and different things come out when, when, when the Spirit's at work in your life. So, so, so you, you and I can change as believers. We can, we can progress. And what if someone has hurt you? You have no control over that, right? Ah, but you have a control about how you respond because it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The cross. Someone lashed out. Someone hurt you. This is where you have, you and I have the edge over anybody else in the world going through conflict. Is They store hurt. They lash out. We don't have to. Forgive. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. You are forgiven if you put your faith in Christ. Forgiven. Clean. Free from condemnation. Full status member, secure in your relationship with Christ, it's, it's all done because of the cross. And sometimes we disconnect that from what we're going through and who hurt us because, boy, it's just so unfair. So is the cross. Utterly unfair to the sinless Savior. But because of the cross, and the grace that flowed to us, we can now forgive anyone who's hurt us in any way. It's an incredible plan for unity that Christ desired and designed into the body of Christ. You see why Ephesians 4 is so important to us now, always? It's always been there, by the way. Disagreement is very normal about lesser things. It's always going to be. But we can remain unified in our marriage, in our friendships, in our church, and, and, and we, can, we can salvage relationships because of the provision of the cross. You are a unique individual. You came to Christ. You came into your marriage. You came into the church, maybe this church, very uniquely designed and uh, formed. Many factors created what's different about you than others. You grew up in a home that was more or less functional, uh, more or less kind. And how well that went impacted you. You were raised in uh, different financial backgrounds than many other people. You might have come from a, from a home that was more wealthy, you never really worried about money, maybe, and uh, 
Maybe you come maybe more from the business end of things, or maybe you grew up more on the blue-collar side of, of things and your parents, and, or, or maybe your, your parents struggled with unemployment or you lived in poverty. We come from different backgrounds, like agriculture. I'm, I'm a farm kid. You might be urban, suburban. You might be a different race and uh, either looking different or thinking or feeling treated differently. You grew up in a, in a home or background or community that maybe had certain political uh, leanings. You were born with a unique personality. And uh, some of that just plain like, genetic or something, but some of it's even affected, I think, by, by birth order and, you know, oldest, youngest, middle, your parents somehow reacted differently uh, to you. Sometimes we are shaped in our opinions and ideas by our appearance and, and uh, how people react to us, tall, short, whatever. Your skills that you developed are, are different. Schools, opportunities, jobs, they all shaped you. You, you, had, you had input from certain teachers or mentors that others did not. You were influenced by different things that, that you've read or maybe experiences you've had in travel where you've gone and interests and hobbies that you've had. Uh, man, we've, we've had so much that has been poured into us to create who we are and our ideas and our opinions. So unique. So it is no surprise. It should be no surprise to us. It is no surprise to God that there are so many variables that we would disagree with on non-essentials outside of scriptural absolutes. It's no surprise that we would have very different views on the coronavirus or political concepts that surround us and it's boiled to the top. It's no surprise we would view life differently on a million matters for the last hundred years or the next how many decades you have. That's not surprising that we're different. Here's what's surprising that we would agree on anything. That is absolutely, incredibly amazing. We would agree on anything, let alone that we would agree on the main things. And yet here we are. Gathered today around the unified understanding of the authority of God's word. One God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. That's what's surprising. It's surprising that we would gather around and sing praises to the one God who created all things. It would be surprising that we would gather around our praise of Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior who died for our sins and who has guaranteed us a home in heaven where we will all be together and perfectly unified forever. The fact that we would be unified and all indwelt by the same Holy Spirit who is working maturity in his unique ways but towards the same purpose. It's incredible that we could live our life setting our mind as we learned in Colossians on things above, not on things below, but be so absorbed in the person of Christ and so absorbed in the importance that this other person around me is also a, in relationship with Christ and so excited about that, that the, the things of earth really would grow strangely dim in how minor they are how much junk there is that divides 
sincere believers. And then to know, even as we look at our own hearts, that we have the Holy Spirit, so if there's something he shows to us, we can kick that to the, to the curb, and, and if there's something to be done towards us, then we can forgive as God in Christ forgave us. We can work it out. Be completely humble and pursue that. We're salt and pepper. We're sugar and some jalapeno and habanero. And out of all this, God has called together and created something beautiful that he calls his bride. It's us all. You all who are part of the body of Christ, joined together on that which is most important. It could be as you're listening and watching today that you don't really understand or, or know for sure what this is all about. How, how can you have unity about Christ? Maybe it's because you've never come into a relationship personally with God through Jesus Christ. You see, what is unique is that those who have put their faith in Christ and Christ alone for eternal life are now related to God in Christ and another person who has put their faith in Christ is related to God in Christ and that now becomes that unifying factor. Maybe you haven't experienced that and so maybe, maybe conflicts have ruled your life and you've never known that unity. If you have questions about what it means to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, I would love to visit with you, others on our staff. If you contact us, email, call us, or maybe uh, once uh, we reopen, if you would uh, feel comfortable to come and visit, we would love to get to know you and, and, uh, and introduce you to that relationship. And, and if you're ready, this is old news to you, you, you familiar ground, you know your relationship is with Christ. I just urge you to, to let God continue his transforming work in you that we would all be uh, striving towards the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature as God intends. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are just so uh, drawn to you and your, your uh, sovereignty over our life, our, your, your purposes in our life. Uh, God, give us grace for one another, wisdom, submission to you that we would be uh, setting our minds on things above where you reign and not on things below. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in our church family as we uh, transition to another season. It'll be unique again. Uh, it'll sometimes be awkward. It'll be, it'll be a place where our differences maybe become obvious. And Lord, we know that you will do the best things. You will do the things that, that, that uh, glorify you, things that... Uh, would uh, cause us to be transformed, things that would make you, you pleased instead of grieved. And so we commit ourselves to that process, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.